Hey, there we are. There you go, Kevin Fulton. I, I knew you'd get that, man. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to have you on the podcast this afternoon. Well, Tyrone, I just want to start out by saying you don't know how much uh, I appreciate what you do for the state of Kentucky and tennis, and not only Kentucky, but you have great connections throughout the world and throughout the country, and it allows people like me to reminisce. It allows people like me to stay connected, and, you know, I don't know if you're in the Kentucky High School Tennis Hall of Fame or the Kentucky USTA Hall of Fame, but, bro, you're a first-team all-ballot with me. Well, Kevin, I, I just love the sport like you do. And, and one of the things that's always amazed me and impressed me is, you know, your passion for tennis. I, I'm a I'm a big Kevin Fulton fan. I've watched you for years and from the sidelines and, and uh, actually got to play with you on the court one time, too. Yeah, <laughs> that is a memory that is burned in my mind. And I hope Greg listening to this. I want to make sure he gets the link. Uh, for people out there that don't know, when I was 18 years old, I played uh, Tyrone in the Festival of the Horse in Scott County, Kentucky. Tyrone broke two strings in warm-up and broke his third string in the second. I was up, I think, 4-1 or 4-2 in the first set. My partner felt sorry for Tyrone, handed him his rackets, and Tyrone beat my butt. Uh, it's one of the, it's one of the great memories that I had as a, as a junior player. And, you know, I look back on it and I laugh because it's, if you weren't there, you'd never believe the story. <laughs> Kevin, I tell you, uh, you, you know, you're a heck of a competitor and you know, that's, that's really, uh, I mean, you're a multi-sport athlete. I know you played basketball at Maisel, right? And you did, yes, you, you did multiple sports. Yes, Listen, sir. I, what I'm going to do, Kev, real quick, just give a little synopsis. I'm going to miss some things, but I'm just going to kind of paint real quick a picture for the audience because this uh podcast now is kind of uh all over the u.s and going global and also all over kentucky so there's gonna be people out here that you know have not met you or do not know you exactly i just want to touch real quick kevin fulton you know this guy has amazed me when i really dug into his background because i knew him uh you know from playing with him and then watching him at moorhead and then watching him at uofl but not realizing, you know, the fact that, you know, he, you know, he's been so engaged in tennis for a long time. I, I look here at 1997 uh, to 99 at Vincennes University, 64 and 13 records, six junior college All-Americans. I mean, just incredible uh, couple years there. Kevin. Well, and, and I had the. And actually, I'm playing golf with him on Monday. I had the great opportunity to coach with a guy named Ron Albers. Ron has over 700 victories as a college coach on the junior college level. He won a national championship in 2011. You know, we we finished in the top three, I think, the, the years I was there. And the, the great story about Ron, and I don't mean to change the subject here and go into backgrounds, but... I played Ron <laughs> in a doubles tournament when I was 19 right. at Lake Winoka, Ohio. Yep. I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Winoka, but if you've never been there, you don't know where it is. Right. And it was a Labor Day tournament. It's a one-day tournament, so you play between six and eight matches in one day. Uh, I played with a guy, uh, Alan Peffer, and we made it to the finals the only year we played in the tournament, and we played Ron and his partner. When I became director of tennis at French Lake Springs Resort, 
I got a call from, from Ron Albers. He said, my name is Ron Albers. I'm the tennis coach. I said, you're at Vincent's University. And I said, you and I have played. And the funny story about this is because of our, our background with Lake Winoka, we actually started a Lake Winoka Hall of Fame. And he is member 001. I'm member 002. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though, man. That's we really printed cool. up hats, T-shirts, bucket hats. We had certificates, flags. It's, not, awesome. it's a running joke, but, yep. you know, you never know, just like you and I reconnecting, how a chance incident of you playing somebody in a sport, how it can build a connection that can stay solid years later. Oh, I mean, and I'm glad we're having this discussion about connections because this is, I think it's really important for a lot of young people out there and people who are in the middle of their careers and people who are on the tail end of their careers. Tennis, it's a, it's a sport of a lifetime, and it's an ambassador sport from the standpoint that the job I currently have was a tennis connection if, you know, to get into pharmaceuticals to coach, right? Yeah. Without tennis, it wouldn't have happened. So, uh, so that was with Sean Parker, who I played in a few tournaments and got to know him. And then he turned my resume in and, in the pharma world. And I, here I am today, 22 years later. But Exactly. It, isn't it, it just what you said, Kevin? It's just incredible the relationships that you build and the connections you make and that's why it's always good to honor your opponent and, and be, you know, oh. you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, because we're, we're both competitors. 100%. And, but at the same time, I always felt like most of the time when a guy beat me, I always was like, what did he do? How can I figure this out for the next one? Right. Yes. And be a, be a humble, be humble. And I know I've thrown a few rackets in my, when I was younger and, you know, and, and probably hit a couple balls out of UK Stadium. And, and uh, there were some people probably there when that happened. But uh, Daryl McClellan got me in a third set tiebreaker. And I wasn't happy. We, we tore our shoes off. Cow. We both had to change shoes once in the match. I, that's how competitive it was. But um, anyway, make a long story short, it's always good to be humble. And, you know, and Daryl and I became best friends. We played many times after that. But Well, and, and I tell our players, you know, fear nobody, respect everybody. Exactly. And, you know, the thing about competing, and I think we're from a generation that's just completely different, but I remember growing up, I never worried about somebody cheating me when I played junior tournaments. I was more mad when I know I didn't give my best effort. And right. you, know, you learn you learn as you get older that you stop worrying about winning and you start worrying about how you're playing. Like, what are you doing in these matches? And how are you, how are you training? Are you... Are you just hitting serves? Are you hitting serves plus three shots? Because tennis has become – it's really changed a lot with people like Craig O'Shaughnessy and the data that's coming out now. You know, we got the Hawkeye data for the last 20 years or however long it's been. And it's getting out that people – you know, we don't have a philosophy about tennis. It's more these are the facts. These are the way pros are playing. This is how you should train. And it's – it's, you know, basically the same at all levels. So mm-hmm. if a kid's a beginner to a kid who's in college, you know, most points are four shots or less. So why are you going out there working on hitting 100 balls in a row when you need to make a serve or return first strike and then how are you going to handle the first strike as a returner? So this stuff yep. has changed completely. Yep. You know, and, and Well, the technology, Kevin, we were talking about this the other day when we ran into each other at Panera Bread up in Louisville. You know, the technology, you know, shifted off the, from the wood to the, to the, it went from wood to, to aluminum, aluminum, to graphite. 
to graphite, right? And, yeah, and then the string, and it's the biggest change is strings. Yeah, strings. Like, okay. Like I used to string my rackets. Like I can tell you right now, I remember what my string tension was at the festival of the horse because I was stringing my racket at sixty nine pounds. Right. Now I string my racket at forty eight. Yeah. And I can't get it loose enough. <laughs> you get a lot of slingshot. If you watch Nadal, his racket hit speed, that ball comes off there like a shot, doesn't it? Just explodes yes. off. But his you, racket. if you get a slow reaction or like slow pitchers. You see how much recoil he has with the string. Yeah, like, he does. Like yeah. when you played, I don't want to call them pushers, but ball makers right. back in the day, you would struggle because you couldn't put enough on the ball to hurt them. Right. Now, you know, I tell people all the time, I, you know, let them make balls. I'll take balls out of the air. I'll come in, take a volley. Right. You know, work. You know, I tell juniors all the time that when they come to me to ask what to work on, I said, well, every pro is going to teach you how to hit ground strokes. What's going to separate you from the other people you're playing? It's your ability that when you hit an inside-out forehand or you put somebody on the run, how are you putting pressure after that ball has got them in a defensive position? Yep. Are you allowing them to reset the point? Are you coming in, taking a ball out of the air once or twice, and then all of a sudden the pressure on that girl or that guy, right. whoever you're playing, has to come up with something more now? No, you're absolutely right. Because when I moved to Florida for about a year, year and a half there in Tampa – I played a lot of really good clay court players, and my game really jumped during that time. This was back around 2011. And what I noticed right away when I started playing these top, uh, you know, players, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, is they took everything early, and they, they struck yes. it. Yes, and you were talking about that at you, Panera. I mean, you couldn't float a damn ball because if you floated anything, they come in and, and take it early. They were taking your time away and taking your legs, man. You you were on the defense just trying to get it back, you know. So I realized right away I got to, that first strike is so important. It sets up the next two or three shots, and, you know, it, it's so important to, to take the ball early because I played a guy. He was he was a doctor. He was number one in, in the, this Florida in the 50s, and he was a kind of a short guy, but he, he was had great legs. He ran everything down, and I kept thinking, what's he doing I'm not doing? Well, he's striking the ball a little earlier. He's taking everything out of the air, and he's putting pressure on me. You know? Pressure, and what, what I, what players today are a little bit different. I call this the instant generation. Like they, you know, they've been raised on fast food. They've been raised on the, getting every answer they want off the internet immediately. Right. Like you don't understand, a pressure is accumulation of a series of points and shots that, when you know, I, I, I know you can pass me when it's love all, but can you pass me when it's deuce? Or right. it's, it's my ad when there's pressure and you have to come up with that shot. Exactly. A simple yeah. shot that's that's easy at 15 all is not as hard at the end, you know, when it gets tight. It does. That's what you see the difference between Djokovic and you see Nadal yeah. and you see Serena. They're playing ad points and deuce points with the same amount of pressure on them as they play 15 all and love all. Yeah. They're not Absolutely. breaking down in that situation, you know. I'm going to give you an interesting fact, and this is, you know, I have a, I have a friendship with Craig O'Shaughnessy, who's, who's coached Anderson. He's coached Djokovic. He was with Djokovic on that run. He had a couple, you know, 2018, 19, where he won a bunch of Grand Slams in a row. And he, he told me, he said, listen, he said, when you're, when you're training and you're putting these kids through practices, you know, tell them this fact that the number one player in the world the medium over the last 10 years, they win 53% of their points, but they win 80% of their sets. So wow. when you get a key, when you, you know, if I, if 
when I was 14 years old, I wouldn't have the Arbor Association after me for throwing my racket up in that oak tree right. at Garrett Park in Paris, Kentucky. Right. Because I was mad I missed a shot. You know, now I look at it like I tell our kids all the time. I tell my children in their own sport, if you miss a shot, look at your opponent with the look. is like, you got lucky I missed that shot because I'm coming again. Exactly. You've got to have that, 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 that bulldog mentality of not giving up, not showing any weakness. I think it's so important that they're on the court. And, uh, you know, you're right. Even at the club level, the players that, that, are the, are, that do the best are the ones that put the, their opponent in an awkward situation, you know, either through being aggressive with a ground stroke or being able to hit the approach shot right at them to where they can get to the net and they take get that to first the net or using a drop. Like I tell people all the time, offensive tennis is not how hard you hit a ball. No. It's where you hit a ball. Oh, it like, is. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had the great pleasure of hitting with the, the great Mario Rincon, but Mario, I've hit with him several times and I have been to parts on the tennis court that I didn't even there. And yeah. his ability to, to change direction and put a ball in the same spot, six shots in a row where I've got to back up and I'm lifting the ball up and all of a sudden he's up making a volley. Like, it's just – like I tell kids all the time, this is, not, this is not rocket science. Tennis is played between two parallel lines. Yep. If you understand that, you understand that you only go down the line for certain reasons or you only take risks for certain reasons. If you're watching pros, they're hitting to these three same spots over and over and over again until they know they've got to take, they get the ball they can take the chance off of. Yep. But no, yeah, I mean, we got away from the biography and everything. People are going no, to be don't worry. I love like, it, man. This because, guy just talks tennis. You know, it's so funny. You, you pulled uh, Mario Rincon out. I'm thinking Carlos Drada is one I hit with. Oh. And, uh, and Carlos Drada, he was NCAA runner up one year, and he's the women's coach at UK right now. And that guy, I mean, hitting the angles with spin. I mean, he was left-handed. So I know he'd he, run you clear off the court, and you would be looking, where's the tennis court at? You know, you're way over here. You're way he, over there. You're, you're trying to hit the ball down the line around a pole, and you're hitting yeah. the pole or hitting the exactly. referee. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I went one time and played a tournament down in uh, uh, South – I was in North Carolina at Asheville, and I drew Tennessee's former number one player. And uh, I'll never forget it because you're talking about getting pulled around on the court. It was on clay. And I went down there. John Herring uh, was going down. He wanted me to go down. So I the went big down. lefty. The big lefty. And I got down there and I, they said, yeah, you've got this guy, so-and-so. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to make him hit a lot of balls, right? Well, I get out there and I surprised myself and somehow won the first game. I thought, well, I can, I can beat this guy. I spent the next 11 games – running probably <laughs> this cat was hitting so much spin like he was it was so big a just a big western forehand and he was catching those angles the ball was jumping 30 feet and i was like i felt like i had a i had a, I had flies around me with watermelon and i had a fly water <laughs> trying to get to it dude and I, <laughs> I was thinking my god he's running me man and so you he hit me on such defense i couldn't get offense on him you know what i'm saying yeah so it all starts with your serve, you know, when you're on offense and you're the server, right? But when 100%. you're in, in returning, you got to be able to move in and take it early, you know. And and you and I can go through the analysis of the game, but it it, it, it to your point though, it, it it's so exciting knowing that first strike, those first four or five balls are going to be critical, right? Back to how you start. One hundred percent. And if you're not training those first four or five shots, what are you doing? 
Like, you know, it'd be great if I can hit 100 cross-court balls, but if I can't hit a serve in at a, at a good rate or hit a good return in, you know, I tell kids all the time, I was I don't know who I was talking to, I was talking to a recruit, and I was talking about I, I watched a match that they played, and I said, listen, I don't know why someone's not telling you to maybe take a little bit off that first serve and hit it in about 80% of what you can hit and build up from there. I said, because I don't know anybody in the world even when they have a bad first serve, that's people attack the first serve. Right. If you're consistent, even if you have a good second serve, someone's going to try to attack it. Yep. So take a little pace off your first. I mean, here we are going to analytics. But, right. No, but that's true, though. Yeah, but, so if, you true. know, I, I start out in the match. It's more important location than it is pace in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, and I always wanted to return serve first because I wanted to catch somebody not right. making a couple of serves. And all of a sudden, you know, I always tell players, get me to 30 all. I give you a 50-50 shot of winning that game. Yeah, because you can put them on defense. Like, you know, if it's 30 – I always say if I can win the first point, they got to win two to get ahead of me. Does that make 100, sense? 100%. I, that may I sound know. simple, but if I can get that first one, they got to win two to get ahead. Yes. So that's so big. And it, when it's deuce, if I can put a little – don't just push it back. Put some pressure. Get in behind the ball. And if you get that point, you've got a break point. You know, you're a great point. And, yeah. and, you know, you're yeah. going in the college game now where it's no ad. I, yeah. I tell kids all the time, quit focusing on what you do at 40 all and focus more on what you're doing at 30 all. Because if you get up 30 all, you got two shots to win the game. But if you're only thinking, oh, my gosh, if I get the deuce, I've lost the last two deuce points. No, you win this point. And, and you know, no matter what you do on that first serve return, get it back and try to get it as deep as you can. And then it's seven. Kev, I'm gonna. I, I love your analysis and technology. You know the way you look at the game, the way you coach the game, the way you think the game through. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are really going to love hearing this uh, this episode. So I really appreciate that. I know, Paul. I, I know we need to get into deeper. I'm going to pull you. I'm going to pull you on into. I know you had the front. You went up. You did the French lick thing uh, as well, and then you jumped in. It looks like you went back to Louisville um, and helped the men. You know, work with the men's team a little bit. Conference USA. Champions, man. We were champions the first year, and I thought, man, this is easy. We're going to do this every year. Right. Uh, but I, what, what happened? Let me break this story down. Uh, so I was at French Lick. I went to Vincent's and helped Ron. I was, you know, I was coming to a couple practices, but I was mainly doing national tournaments, regional tournaments with them. And it, I, I, I fell in love with it because I was actually able to make a, a, a real difference in a player because it was the on-court stuff. It wasn't just how you hit a ball. You know, when you're – I was director of tennis for French Lick for, I think, eight years, and it was some of the best time. I had a bunch of junior kids that went on to play college tennis. I saw that. You you had several that went on to play college tennis, uh, and they were very competitive. Very competitive. And what we did, though, we built – even then, we were building a culture. But but going back to this, I fell in love with college coaching, and I'm like, I want to get into coaching. I sent out, like, 100 resumes, and everybody said the same thing. You know, your tennis credentials are great, but you don't have a degree because, you know, I went to Moorhead. I didn't finish there. Right. I, uh, you know, but my grandfather wasn't doing really well. And I promised him I would go back and finish college. So that's what I did. I went to U of L. Um, you know, I spent my money, mine, what was going to be my inheritance. He gave it, they get him and my grandmother right. gave it to me up front. And I went back to school and I graduated. I had 28 credits when I went there and I graduated in three years and did a master's in one. Wow. While I was there, I reached out to Meg and Rex, you know, Meg Peavy and Rex DeCarma, who were the coaches there. And, and Meg didn't need any help at that time. But Rex was like, hey, 
Love to have you come on as a volunteer assistant coach. I love your energy. You know, he, he made me go out and work with a player, and he, he said, man, you're going to fit in perfect. And we had a magical year. Like, we had a really good class, right. a freshman class. We end up going to NCAA. We lose 4-3 to Mississippi State in the first round, and I'm thinking, we're going to do this every year. And, right. and next year, same team. We had the same team, and we came in third in CUSA. And it's – you just never know. These years, like, like, like yep. I, I look at sports, you just don't know how many shots you're going to get at something. Right. You got to take advantage of the opportunity when you get it, right? You yeah. Know? So I went to U of L, and then after U of L, I went to IU Southeast. Yep. I think they won four matches the year before I got there. And the, the late Bill Ryle, I, I love the guy. He reached out to me when I was a volunteer. He says, "Hey, you know, you can come here and you can do your own thing." So I went over there, and you know, the first year I think we won fourteen matches. The second year we won eighteen matches. We were top twenty and. NAIA, and we were doing it on $4,000 of scholarship money. I had a bunch of Indiana kids. I had one kid from Chile. I had three All-Americans, I think. I think I had three All-Americans. I had a kid ranked top five in the country. And, you know, I'm playing against Auburn Montgomery, who wins at that time, was like the Georgia Gwinnett of now. They were winning it every year, and I'm talking to their coach, and he's like, yeah, I'm trying to fundraise to get an eighth scholarship. And I'm like, I'm on $4,000 out there. Right. And uh, so then the Moorhead job opened up and to be honest, my mom wasn't doing really well health wise. So I thought we'd go to Moorhead for a couple of years, get her healthy. And then I'm going to, I'm going to springboard to something else. Well, the next thing I know I'm there, you know, 11, 12 years. I saw that, man. You had a heck of a, I mean, I'm just looking at that. You, I mean, you got the, the, the men six years in a row to the, to the, to the tournament, right? I mean, six years and then, you know, the, the women, we had the best team in the conference. EKU and Murray will say they did. Uh, in 2014, I had Briar Preston, who was 80 in the world of juniors. She was distru- – I mean, she was like 25-4 and four this year. And, and, and the, the backup, the year before that, we had five girl, five starters go out with injuries. We were playing with walk-ons. Right. And I told Brian Hutchinson, my AD, we were 2-17. and 17, And the next year – we were eight and two in the conference. I got coach of the year. I said, I deserved coach of the year last year when I didn't, right. when, I, when I kept a team from killing itself. Yeah, exactly. You, and I saw where that Briar Preston was OVC player of the year honors. OVC uh, player of the year. She was OVC athlete of the year. Right. She, uh, you know, I was talking to the SID from Moray last night, and she's going to be put up uh, to go into the Morris State Hall of Fame next year. That's awesome. And I mean, she deserves it. And, and just, you know, great kid, great family. And, you know, we built we built a great culture there. And the thing that I love about coaching college tennis, it's the relationships that you build. Right. And it allows you to build a family because because college athletics is a business, no matter how we want to put it. Right. It's bottom line. It's what's in the black, what's in the red. But at the end of the day, what kind of difference do you make in somebody else's life so they'll make a difference in somebody else's? And we try to teach these kids, like I did at Moorhead, to be servant leaders. Like, the more you help somebody else, you don't realize that you're helping yourself. Yeah, Kevin, you're, I, I went, I did a little research on you, and I, I the Fultonisms. Now, okay, so I'm uh, you went little, way back, man. I did, dude. I did a little dig. Don't teat your blonde grandmother in carts. <laughs> <laughs> Come so on. I did see the Fultonisms, and I tell you, man, um, you had players that were li- really locked in. I mean, they they really, you know, they were given 
uh, file feedback on that and how it helped them and how you followed them and mentored them and how yeah. you still mentor a lot of them, you know. Yeah, they no, reach but, but you know what? People don't understand this. They think that if you give your time, that, that, that you're doing something. When I give my time, I'm getting I'm getting five times the fold that I'm giving out. Right. Like like I cannot tell you like so I'm not allowed to by unstable rules tell you who the girl is. But right. yesterday I'm on a recruiting call. Right. And she tells me where she's from. And I'm like, Do you know Nick Mercer? Oh my gosh. When I was seven years old, I hit with Nick Mercer when he was 17 years old. Wow. I said, Well, Nick played for me. She goes, Shut up. And we got on this long talk. And you know, you just build these relationships with these kids and you never yep. know. You never yep. know when you're right. talking to a recruit, if you don't treat kids right, right, how it can either positively affect your relationships with future recruits and how it will negatively affect yeah. you. Means everything. Because you yeah. will end up somewhere somehow. You can't hide in this sport because the world is big, yeah, but the world is really small. Oh, you're right. I mean, I mean, you know, at the, I always you know, doing the right thing is the most important thing any of us can do. And are we all going to make a mistake occasionally? Yeah, we, we can make one. But at the end of the day, I think if the intent, it's always the intent. When I'm coaching people in my, my, my career, I'm also a PTR tennis instructor since 1986. So I've taught a lot of kids, adults. Yeah. I've taught them all the way from age three to age 85, I think. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I try to give my time when I give it and make them the most important thing there at that time and give them everything I got. And then those relationships, uh, they, you know, my intent is always to try to help. I always want to learn as I'm having these conversations with you guys on this podcast. Right. Yeah. And, but I always want to help those out there when I'm, when I'm working with tennis, cause I love tennis so much. I've gotten so much out of it and tennis has done so much for me. And I want to give that back to others. And, and that's what's driven me to do this podcast. Well, well and you, you hit know. the nail on the head. Like, I, I met people like you because I worked with people like Gary Plock. Yep. You know, I met people like Lonnie Palmer in Lexington. I met, you know, I played juniors against people who, you know, we talked about Rafer Leach. Yep. Like, Rocky Mason, Ray Rocky Mason, like yeah. I, I put Ray for Leach up is the coolest kid who ever played tennis on the yeah. planet. He was just fun to be around. I've seen him. I, I knew his dad real well because he was always there, you know, drinking beer and smoking and watching Ray. <laughs> That's just the way it was, man. And I love that dude, you know? Oh, man. I and mean, Rafer would come up and he had his hair, you know, he all blowing around, blonde. He's about, he's about six, one, two. Nice kid, just happy go lucky. You would, you, you wanted Rafer to win, you know? Had a, had a puka shell neck. Had a puka shell around his neck. And I can tell you right now, Rafer was a hell of a player. And I'm going to tell you something right now, though. I saw Gary Plock play Rafer when Rafer played at Minnesota and was number one. Came in for the summer, and I had a tournament over in Woodford Sales, Woodford County, at the Woodford Hills Country Club. And Gary said, hang around and watch it. And I go, I wouldn't miss this for the world. And I went back there and, and Plock took Rafer out, man. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, Plock was I in say his, this. Probably in his late 30s at that time or something. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I never got to witness Gary playing his prime. But if he didn't have elbow issues, I think we're talking about him oh, as uh, someone like we talk about Mel. Oh, you know, Mel, well, Mel is. Mel's yeah. one of the greatest players to ever come out of this state. 
But Gary had that same type of game. Like his his hands were incredible. That kick serve he had was unreal. Yeah. And, and the well, thing he, he I reminded me of a, he's kind of like a Mac and roll. He come in on everything too. Everything, little short hop yeah. things. Yeah. But the thing that I learned most from, and I made it. I made a, you know, I don't do podcasts, but I do like these little video talks on right. Facebook. And I talked about the other day about patience. Right. Gary Plock taught me patience. And he, yeah. you know, I, I talked about it as, you know, patience, people think it's a virtue, but patience is actually a weapon. Oh, God. If, yeah. If yeah. you learn to be patient and, and, and realize what's going on around you and watch what your opponent's doing and, and understand, hey, I don't need to take risk early, but I see the, you know, be patient. See what Gary, Gary played tennis. He calculated everything. Oh, the dude he was played chess, and we were playing chess. Every shot he hit had an, he had purpose and attention behind it, and he would set a trap up to get you on the third shot or fourth shot. You he know? thought three shots ahead, but we're yeah, thinking just get the he, ball back. He, he, and you know, the only way you could ever play Gary, you had to somehow be able to overpower the guy a little you bit. Had, you know, and I was going to say that you had to have a weapon to beat. But most guys were so intimidated by him because, you know, Gary was a personality. He was a competitive guy, you know what I mean? You know, and he had that Well, he smiled while he was kicking your butt. Well, yeah, and he was, you know, he just had that that aura about him, man. And, uh, you know, and, and I always told myself I'm not left-handed, but I'm right-handed. But if I can just, you know, work on my serve placements and work on my, my, my slice serve and my kick serve and get people off the court and, yeah. and make, get them to hit where I want them to and then come in and hit the angles. And Gary had that slice and, I mean, he could touch and drop shot. He had all of it. He dropped volley anywhere on the court off a of volley, you know? Well, I, I know a lot of people got to enjoy watching him play at Pisgah, So Yeah, I played him over there, and I probably ran more in that match at Pisgah against him than I've ever ran in my life, and he – He's probably laughing if he listens to this, but he ran me. I had a, we had buddies come watch it and I had him tell me afterwards. They said, we've never seen a guy run like you did. I go, I don't know if I can make it to the car. I probably ran 10 miles. And Just then, think if you had an Apple watch, then it would tell you, please stop moving. And I'll tell you, I played Gary three times. Uh, the first time he killed me, like two and one. The second time I was in martial arts, the prime of my life. Gary's six years older than me, five or six years older than me. And I was playing him. And at this point, you know, we I'm in my early 40s. Gary's approaching 50. And um, I ended up making it very competitive. And I, and I I got – he made me almost think I had a chance. And then, <laughs> I mean, I, I was, a, you know, a couple games away from being there. And he shut me down. And then he called me up and after I'd had my heart surgery. You know, I had heart surgery nine years ago. He called me up just as I healed up and I had been really working hard to get back into it. And I was playing extremely well because I was super focused, just blessed to be alive, right? And so we went to Berea. He wanted me first. And um, I played the match of my life. <laughs> and somehow I was hitting the ball hard. I, you know, I, I was in great shape. Gary, again, you know, as genuine as Gary is, um, I, I got so somehow got lucky and got a third set tiebreaker on him. But here's the, here's the thing. I went up on the hill and couldn't hardly walk up there. And I sat down, and both legs were cramping. And Gary's down on the court playing doubles and winning the open doubles. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how in the world is this guy doing that? You know? So Alan, Was Alan Jackson there laughing the whole time? You got it. Him and Debbie, man. He sure was. And I'm sitting up there, and Gary's going, looking up at me as he's playing. And I'm thinking, dude, I can't get up. I'm on the bench. I got a right hand me cramping. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> 
But, uh, you know, Gary's just, uh, you know, again, we could go do a whole podcast just on Gary, and I hope to get him on here soon. We were talking about it. But he's, he's um, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely inspired a lot of us, including you and I. Absolutely. But, but Absolutely. man, you had a heck of a you had a heck of a, a run there, you know, uh at, at Moorhead and they ended up pulling the plug on tennis. I, I hated that when that happened. Well, what I I understand again it's a business and you know, I recently had uh, breakfast with my former A D and, and I hate it and I hope someday they bring it back. You know, unfortunately tennis is the one of the first sports that gets looked to get cut, like men's yeah. soccer, like a track and field program. Right. Uh, but, we, you know, we live in a society where it's economy driven. And unfortunately, we were in a situation here in Moorhead where, you know, money wasn't flowing in like they needed it to. And, and, you know, we were obviously the victim of that circumstance. But I'm very, very thankful for the time I had in Moorhead State. You know, I always tell people I always have a special place in my heart for that place because we did a lot of great things. We built a good program there. You know, our kids graduated. You know, I had a I had a kid who spoke at graduation who ended up being an account with KMG for a while. K KMPG is that what it is? Um, the big four accounting firm. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. And then I've got you know Hugo uh, Amante is a inquine surgeon in wow. Lexington working for Dr. Park. Uh, I had Nathan Martin who became an attorney. I got Bradley Bryan, who is uh, you know. I think he's the director of tennis at at top. Yes, I did a podcast with Bradley. Man, he's awesome. Yeah, he Bradley. He, thought, Bradley, he, thought, he thinks the world of you, brother. Yeah. Well, about that. Yeah. I think the world of Brad. I think the world of all those kids because, like I said, you build relationships with him, and and I really enjoy my time at Moorhead. Well, man, you know, you made the dean's list when you were playing, helping coach Louisville, and you know, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, you were a six times Dean's List guy. You know, I did my research on you. Yeah, man. And, well, and, you know, but but my point to that is, is, is that you understand how important academics are and how important it's going to help you in the in the world of life. Right. Uh, outside. Well, of- and, and, you know, I I tell kids all the time, like if you can't be successful in college, being an athlete in the academic part, that's on you. Because these, you know, I didn't get this help being, you know, when I was at school, but I watched, they have tutors, they have advisors, they have, you know, study guys, study groups. I had the best study part in the world and I'm married to her right now. She, you know, she got me through college and she, she inspired me to be a better student because she was a 4.0 student. You know, I had high school, I, I majored in eligibility in college. I asked a lot of questions, you know, I tell tell my own kids this when I was 18 I knew everything by the time I was 22 I realized I knew nothing and by the time I was 29 I asked a ton of questions and that's why I thrived in that environment you know you and I are similar you know I'm a little bit younger than you but when we went to school there was no multiple choice test no man there was there was maybe some fill in the blanks an essay question maybe if you had true and false and definitions you were happy I went right. to college and got multiple choice. I'm like, what? I got a 25% chance of getting this right? I know I can eliminate two answers. Exactly. You got to really kind of calculate and think. You can, yeah, well, you, you approach it like you do a sport. Right. <laughs> you compete. That's exactly right. Once you start competing in the classroom, you're on, you're on your way. You're you know? well on your way because, you know, you just – I always You know, told, just to speak to that, I did the same thing. I, worked, I went to high school, Woodford County High School. I graduated – probably with like a 2.6 or 7. I mean, I never pushed myself. I never took a book home. I'm not saying I'm that smart because I'm not, but, 
No. What I what I learned what I learned is though is from that experience because I was so into sports, I didn't put the classroom. I knew I had to pass, right? So I was going to at least get a C. That was my attitude. That was my my attitude in high school and academics. What I realized though, when I went to work right out of high school, uh, with you know just high school, I, I was recruited to be a basketball player at Texas Instruments, and they would give me a job in the company, and you know. So I didn't go and take – I had a basketball scholarship. Didn't take it. I went to go to work, get paid, and play basketball. You did like, another level in my book, brother. Because well, I, I had yeah. a speaking spell when I was a kid, and it was made by Texas Instruments. Is that right? Yeah, we had the calculators <laughs> and everything, dude. Yes. But, but, you know, my point to this whole thing is, is that how important I learned competing is when I got to that plant and I was on the basketball team, and they said – I said, well, why can't I have one of those office jobs? They go, you got to go to college. And I'm like, oh, I got to go compete for that. Okay. Yeah. So they said they paid my way to college, and I got three degrees in night school, and they paid every dime of it. And, exactly. and I, at that point, I was getting – I had a 3.9 out of 4 GPA. I'm not tooting my horn, but the light bulb came on. I got to compete in the classroom. I got to figure You know out. what? You, na- you nailed it again right there. It's competing. And yeah. you learn how to compete. You can go a long way in everything. And I, and I tell people all the time, quit looking at success and failure. Right. Because failure is just, is just the learning process of getting to be successful. Yep. And if you find a joy, like, like again, I'm going to go on one of my tangents, so I do apologize. Like, okay. I tell people all the time, like, but I want to be happy. I'm like, well, happy is like winning. Once you have it, it's over. It's fleeting. So find yep. joy in what you do. If you find joy in learning, yep. you're always going to be you're always going to be happy. If you find well, joy in competing, well, as long as you compete, you're going to be happy. Absolutely. And what you find is it's the journey. Yes. The most exciting part of this: the people you meet, the places 100%. you go, the things you see. At, at the end of the day, I, you know, I've got a whole garage full of trophies, and, and you know, I know Gary Plock. We'll mention Gary again. Gary would take these juniors and take his trophies and take the, take his names off of them and hand them out and re 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 give them again. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we of course we're going to sound like we're bad parents, but we don't let our kids keep participation stuff. <laughs> like if 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 pipe for the week, she gets to keep that one, but she doesn't get to keep the certificate saying she went to a camp. Uh, she doesn't yeah. get to keep <laughs> the earn trophy it, yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah, like right. like I want you to understand the fruit of your 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 work that yes. you 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 earn this you don't deserve you don't deserve anything you earn everything you get hey uh, kevin kevin i absolutely you're not cut out of the same cloth being uh being eastern well maysville's kind of eastern kentucky what is that called over maysville it's 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 kind of a little bit you know it's all kentucky baby but my point is you you know you have to earn what you keep, right? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Nobody gives a, nobody gives us anything. We gotta go work for it, and uh, and that's coming through with you loud and clear. Hey, brother, let's move into U of L now. I know you ended up uh, after the uh, Moorhead situation. You ended up, make, you know, kind of see, uh, and that was a tough experience. You went through that, and you were very humble and a great guy, and, and you had a lot of connections, and you ended up at U of L. Yes. I mean, it was, you know, I appreciate Mark bringing me back and it's been a great, it's been a great process trying to build this program to a, to a level on a national, a national uh, 
what I'm trying to say here, uh, a national level, because the ACC, like the SEC, is no joke. Uh, you know, you got you got North Carolina. I think we had eight teams in the final sixteen last year. Yeah, and sure. you know we're we're right there, right on the on the precipice of breaking through. We've had a great we've had great girls the last few years. You know, Mark did a great job building that program. You know, Mark Beckham, man. I'm gonna say one thing about Mark, competitor, dude. I played him in tennis. He he may not remember me, but I played him a couple times back in the day up in Louisville. You know, like on in some of those tournaments, and. I mean, he can play, man. I mean, he can oh, play. Oh, absolutely. Bro. And Mark still plays every day. Mark <laughs> hits every day. He has a lunchtime match with people. Uh, but but going – the yep. thing that I like working with Mark is we're two totally different ends of the spectrum. Right. He's very – he's very – you know, when he speaks, it speaks volumes because he, he's not like me. I can talk all day. And, and we're like yin and yang. Right. And it really, And it works. Yeah. We don't always agree on everything, but we have the ability to talk about our disagreement. Mm-hmm. And you know but that's that's healthy though because that means that you're you you kind of help each other. And well, yeah, and I told him you know, one, yeah. I, I never wanted yes people when I was a head coach uh, because I wanted I wanted to know your opinion. Doesn't mean I'm going to do what you say, but I am going to take for into account because you may see something totally different than I do, Tyrone. Like you may look at something and say, you know what? the curvature of that fruit in that painting, I said, but look at the texture of the brush strokes. Like we, we may be looking at the same thing, exactly. but different, see different perspective. Yeah. Different, different lenses is, is a great thing. And I do that with my team. I got 10 people on my team and, and we always check in with each other and try to listen to each other. And we've got to somehow settle on something. Right. But at well, the same yeah. time, it's good to get Everybody's all the input. Not gonna be happy all the time. Right. right. You got to get inputs and that's, you got to get input. And, and it's just, it's been a really good working relationship. Awesome. Uh, you know, we've got two tomorrow at that Western Open in Cincinnati in the college showcase. Oh, awesome. Rhea De Palma and Rhea Verma. They were ranked as high as, I think, 15 in the country last year in doubles. Wow. Uh, Andrea may be the most talented player I've ever coached. Like, yeah, she is – she hits a forforehand. Yeah, I want to get down and see you guys play this. You, know, you, you know, need the, to come down. Let have you come I've down. been wanting to get up there. Down. I know, you know, I know. Previously, when Rex was there, he he wanted you know, he was wanting me to get up there, and I wanted to. And I just got to make myself get in the car and get up there. You know, sometimes on the weekend, well, I travel a lot during the week, and then on the weekends, I just got to get myself up there because I know U of L, man. Uh, I was impressed with them this year when the men came down and played UK. Etienne Donne is unreal, isn't he? Yeah, they, they were very competitive. When I saw their number one player come out and win the first set, and then it went came down to a third set. It was a tight match against UK's number one. It was very competitive, and I was like, damn, man, these guys can play, man. So it was really exciting to see Rodrigo that. Rodrigo and Mario have done a great job. And I think you have, I think UK uh, is coming to Louisville this year, so I'd like to come up and watch that one too. I, if they, well, I, I think they got a home. Man, come down. I'll have you over. I'll cook. I'm on yeah. my back porch right now. I got a grill and a smoker. We can we can get it on. That'd be that'd be exciting because I think I do think UK's coming there, and that's that's the first time they've been there in a while. I believe. Well, so. I, I'm I'm going to put this out there, and I've said it five different times on the last five years. I think Kentucky men and women should play us at top seed at the same side or the same time. Us on one side set of the course, the guys on the other. That'd be awesome. And, and let the let it be free admission to all kids. Oh, that'd because, be awesome, man. That would because be because I want this state 
to grow its junior tennis program. We've got a lot of great coaches in this state. Yep. We got a lot of talent, but you're seeing these kids, the girls are going on now and they're playing volleyball. They're playing basketball. There's so many. I mean, I can't tell me coaches are like scrambling to find a girl, a seventh or eighth girl on their team. You know, it's exciting watching the state tournament at top seed. You go up there and watch, you, you see, you see them on both sides, you know, and that Absolutely. championships, it, it's just a lot of fun. And you see a lot of Louisville kids there, you know, they're playing. And because, you know, we know St. X and, you know, and Trinity and some of those schools. They're going to do well. Yeah, they do. And it's very competitive. And with Lexington schools have their, their kids this year, in the, uh, this year in the semifinal, it was a final. It was a Henry Clay kid versus a St. X kid. And it was a very competitive match. It was a, I think it was a third. Well, yeah, three, three, I, three, I, yeah. I've got a lot of guy players that I have worked with over the last year in E-Town, so don't leave out E-Town as they came in second in the state in men's and boys' tennis. E-Town, man, I, I've got a pass with them. I used to go play the E-Town Open every year. and I, play, I always played uh, a couple of high school kids and a couple of Campbellsville boys would come up. and Yeah. Had, you remember Bernie Howard and his brother. Oh, Bernie. His brother, John Howard. Uh, Eric LaRue. All, and, all those guys, man. There's some good players, man. Jo- Jody Bingham. There's just a bunch of them that could play. When, you know, Mike Eden, we had a bunch of guys that come in and play, but – we always had some really, you know, E-Town is a hotbed for tennis. There's no doubt about that. Have you been to that that uh, tennis facility got out by the lake? Yes. I was there when they when they uh, christened that those courts, and I played on those, and I played uh, Kyle Caven. I played Kyle Caven and his brother a couple times on those courts. And finding- good guy, too. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but Kyle's a really good guy. Yo, he's a great guy. Him and his brother both. Kyle's the head coach, I believe, of the men and the women, right? Over yeah. There. Yeah, he's a group, and he he's improved his game every year. I mean, he's gotten better. You know, he's really a good player as well, and he's a great guy. There's no, they don't come much better than Kyle. No, they don't. I really, I've had a few uh, chances where I've worked with him on some coaches clinics with with uh, USPTA coaches, and he's he's just great. I really think the world of Kyle. And Bo O'Brien helped uh, was really in, been instrumental in E Town tennis for a while. They're helping to. You know, he retired from uh, – he was a coach, a track guy, and he coached there in E-Town. Got a court named after him at that facility. Yeah, he does. North Harden, I believe, might have been where he coached. Yep. And he ran. He may have ran for North Harden back when he was an athlete. Still is an athlete, but I'm saying back in high school. But but he had some heck of great athletes out of there. And, then, of course, Jody Bingham has been from that – around that area and coached and played, done That's all crap. kinds of stuff. And then uh, there's just so many people, you know, from that E-Town piece. And they – they had some good athletes, like you said, these last several years. Tennis has really taken off in E-Town. It's always been strong, but it seems like it's really picked up. And I, I'm looking out for Bowling Green right now. They just got a new yeah. indoor facility put in. I'm sure you're probably familiar with that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's taken off. You know? and, and like I said, my whole, my whole objective is to grow the game. I, my platform is college tennis. But at the end of the day, I was a kid using a Marty Reeson Dunlop wood racket yeah. on a green wall at Beechwood Park in Maysville, Kentucky, with a little handheld cassette tape, listening to the Beatles' greatest hits from 62 to 66. And I hit a 1,000 balls an hour against that backboard. And that that was the best. I've never beat the – just like Chad Dyer, I've never beat the backboard. Yep. There's no doubt about that. Chad Dyer is a backboard, too. I can trust for that because I played him. He he is a daggone backboard. He's it, just to throw him out there. He's he's one guy that got better after college. I mean, he's better. I mean, he he was good in college, but he 
he just got a lot better every year, and he's he's competitor, man. Him and he is a monster competitor. Do oh, not Jeff, look, do not let his looks, oh, his demeanor. I've been on the other side of it, trust me. And uh, Jeff Hashmi is another another one that came out of there that you know his his uh, actually his uh, uh, uncle uh, Hashmi. They've got a tournament named after him down there, Sharif, and. Uh, I met Jeff when he was 16 years old when he came to visit his uncle and uh, decided to play at Eastern. And uh, Hey, speaking of Eastern, uh, were you aware – they just started their program back. They decided to bring it back. They got a great coach, too, and Adam. Uh, I think he'll do a great job. I I think they're going to struggle the first year just because of getting the job so late. But I'm so happy about that job back. I know Rob was happy. You know, I I talked to Rob probably once or twice a year. Uh, He hated – that program being dropped and hated leaving Richmond, Kentucky. He had Where did he end up at, Rob? The well, he coach. went. He went to a small school in Wisconsin, and he went to Milwaukee, Green Bay, or Greenbelt University, of Milwaukee, Green Bay, and they dropped that program. Okay. So he had two pro- programs dropped on him in three years, and I don't know what he's doing now as far as work. I mean, I know he's up there with his right. folks. He's from Laporte, Wisconsin, I believe, or Lapointe. Okay. Okay. Because he coached Bradley Herrera, a buddy of mine. Bradley, I hit with Bradley when he was four, three or four years old. I hit with Bradley when he was nine because he. Yeah, I played. I played Bradley every around the clock. We hit together. I knew his dad Al played at uh, Murray, and then uh, his sister Lindsay went and played for him as well. And Lindsay, they both played, I believe, number one. So they could both play some tennis, you know. But uh, it was pretty, pretty cool. It's small so world, small world. Bringing small up these world. memories, dude. It's a funny. small world, man. It is. I just thought it's just fun being on here with you. Hey, I, I wanted uh, just to take a minute. We always ask our listener, you know, a couple questions. They're like, I throw something out, and you just kind of tell me what pops into your mind, if you're okay. cool with it. Yes, sir. Uh, what do you think about growth mindset? Our podcast is growth mindset of a champion, right? So, well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that I have used that for the last seven years. Okay. And to me, it buys into what I believe in, in being a process driven person over a product driven person. Okay. If you have a growth mindset, you're willing to open yourself up to, you know, maybe there is a better way than what I'm doing it. And if you have a fixed mindset, you, you know, I've made my own son read up on this. Like you automatically think that, you know, there's, you know, if I can't do it, there's no way I can do it. Right. And, and you've got to break that barrier down because, you know, your mind is the most powerful tool on the planet. I mean, I know computers do great things, but if you open your mind to, hey, you know what? I may not be able to hit this slice backhand today, but if I work at it today, at the end of the month, if I'm not better at it, then maybe maybe I need to quit this game. But you'll see if you put time in on things and you open your mind, they have that growth mindset, you're going to get better at everything you do in life. And you're always going to be a sponge. You're going to be, you're going to be collecting data and finding new ways to do things. I, I, I 100%. Love the growth mindset, uh, the premise behind it. Well, you think about it. When you pick a racket up at four years old and you hit the prime of your life right now, let's say if you're a Djokovic, right? If you think about how what he processed from the time he was four to where he's at right now, he didn't settle, right? Yeah. He did not settle. He, he recalibrated his status quo every day, right? In other yes. words, he did not, I mean, he had emotional connections to what he was doing. Does that make sense? In other words, yes. he had emotion tied into what he did. A lot of people get upset with him because he gets emotional sometimes, but 
He's more upset with himself than he is anybody else. One hundred percent. He's his biggest bad critic. Rap. He's his biggest critic, and the thing is, you know, he creates that emotional connection. He has to recalibrate his own status quo, and then he overcomes any anything in front of him. He's going to find a way through it, around it, over it. You don't win four Wimbledon's in a row right now. No, and he. The thing I tell people. He has weapons, but they're not – you're not going to say he has the best return of serve of all time. You're not going to say he has the biggest ground strokes of all time because I, I put him as a counterpuncher. He's got everything. He just he does everything got, well. And he breaks you. Like, he like, breaks got, you mentally, man. He, he takes breaks you, you mentally. He ta- when you get to heart, you take the legs, brother. I'm telling you. I mean, I've, I've had it done to me. And, and I'll tell you, Greg Combs, I'm going to throw another name out there. Yes, sir. I used to play Greg all the time. And I, you know, finally one day, you know, I, I slipped up and got, I've got that set, you know, and I could tell, you know, Greg just doesn't give you anything. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. and that's a long, I mean, I'm not, I, I know we went from Jokovic to Greg Combs, but in the back. But hey, but there, mind, there's a, it's like Kevin Bacon. It's six degrees. We've connected them. Yeah. It's unbelievable how, you know, that, that, that just keep developing a growth mindset. Don't settle for a fix to your point. It's huge. Hey, do you think a kid is born a competitor or do they develop into being a competitor? What makes that fire in somebody? You can almost tell if they got that, right? I think it's an environment they're raised in. Okay. okay. I do think that some people are, are innately born with being competitive. Yep. But I had a grandmother who won 14 club championships in golf. And I learned that you didn't accept failure as the final result. That's good. And she told me, she goes, you know, when I first started playing, I wasn't any good. Golf is a humbling game, brother. I'm telling you right now, you will fail in golf. But you got to figure out how to, to your point, you don't accept it. You get back up and go play it again, right? 100%. And she was telling me, like, like I, I made a post. I'm sure you read it. My grandmother believed in me, but I can tell you she was she was a hard critic on people. Yeah. Like she expected, like when she played golf on Wednesday, she expected her yard cut before four o'clock. And if you didn't if you cut it after four o'clock, you understood why you would never cut it at four o'clock again. And she taught me though that you have to be competitive in everything you do because it will make you better. It will either either make you or break you. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. Hey, the last one I got for you, and I want to get, get you back to your family here because I know Piper just came in. And I know Emily Robinson, your bride that you, you married, and you got Gavin around there. So you got to get Yeah, back well, they're actually, I'm alone in the house. We've had my son had a soccer game this morning. He's in Oldham County right now. You're going to play South Oldham in a, a football scrimmage. Okay. My, my wife is playing. In a beach volleyball tournament in J-Town, daughter just got picked up by my father-in-law, and she's playing in a sand volleyball tournament at Baxter Jacks. You got a lot so, of things you could go, go go watch after this podcast. Well, I've well I've got to go up and pick up or watch my son scrimmage football because I'm his ride, okay. and then I got to come back because Piper will probably be playing till like nine o'clock. The only person here with me is the dog. So, all right, brother. The last you. question I got for you is what. You know, what would you tell a, a young Kevin Fulton? He picked a racket up. He's nine years, ten years old, and he's dreaming about tomorrow. He's sleeping with his racket. What would you tell him? 
to believe in your dream and no matter what you do, don't give up because there were times that I reached a crossroad that if I chose this other path, you and I are not talking. And because I stuck that journey and you talked about the journey because of the journey of the highs and the lows, you know, you go back to the, I think it's the road, the road less traveled. Yep. It, it allows you to get to where you want to be and it makes all the difference. So I wouldn't, you know, I tell people all the time, I wouldn't change anything. Like my failures made me who I am. Yep. You know, I, I don't base my life on did I win or lose a tennis match. I uh. base my life on how did I compete today? What did I do? You know, did I make a difference in somebody? Did I, did I go up to somebody and just say, hey, how are you doing today? And so that's what I would tell young Kevin Fulton with that racket, because I did sleep with my racket. Kevin, you've been a real treasure to have on, brother, and I'm glad our paths crossed many years ago, and I'm glad we uh, connected. And I'm glad I can't we believe I ran into you in Panera. That's I know it's a small world, man. Yeah, and my and my rep Tim goes, that guy's pretty cool. I go, yeah, he's a good dude, man. So, <laughs> Kevin, have a good one. All right. Hey, you too, Tyrone. And hey, listen, I said at the beginning, keep doing what you're doing. I follow all your stuff. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, if you say something and it reaches one kid, one adult, one person struggling with tennis or even in life, it's worth everything you do. Well, you just inspired me today, man. I appreciate you, Kevin. Keep uh, up Tyrone, great- I appreciate you. Now, you say never give up. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of kids out there and a lot of adults who, who sometimes yeah, frustrated. Get- they get injured. You know, something happens. Tennis is a sport for a lifetime, but you can take what you learn in tennis and apply it to anything you do. And I think you are an ambassador for the game in Kentucky and all over the world. So keep up the great work, and we'll be following you at U of L, my friend. All right. Hey, thank you, Tyrone. You have a great weekend, buddy. All right, you too. Take care, Kevin.